there is a freeze master and whenever the freeze master freezes everybody freezes and the last person to freeze drinks the drink but the marsh gas thing that's some heston blumenthal shit isn't it it was on display in the bottom of a locked filing cabinet stuck in a disused lavatory with a sign on the door saying beware of the leopard from the outpost this is beware of the leopard your a to z of the hitchhiker's guide to the galaxy i'm mark steadman and i can't take anything out of my dressing gown pocket before i've put the dressing gown on and i accidentally looked out the window too soon and oh now i'm dead i'm john hickman and i advise you mark to please hang your dressing gown up on the hook <laughs> i'm john bands and i'm disappear through a small panel in the wall <laughs> Oh, lovely, lovely work last week, lads. Lovely work. Lovely bit of business. Uh, Go and listen to last week's episode if you want to know what all that is about. Um, We're up to our next in the P section, uh, much like whatever leader is uh, is appropriate for your uh, time period, but uh, um, we're, uh, yes, we're a couple of important O's to get through first. Ulan Kalufid is the author of Heretical Works of Non-Fiction. We've covered many of his books already, but titles include Where God Went Wrong, Some More of God's Greatest Mistakes, and Who Is This God Person Anyway? Judging by the description of, well, that just about wraps it up for God, I think it's fair to say that Kalufid is intolerable. Um, John B., do you think he reversed that position when he met Richard Dawkins, who is arguably more annoying? Interesting. I've I've met Richard Dawkins. Um, he wasn't. Have you? Uh, oh, and yet a book signing. Nothing special. Um, oh, you didn't have lunch or anything <laughs> with him. No, no, no. But uh, he. Um, the, the, well, uh, when I met him, this thing. So, uh, so when Douglas met uh, Richard Dawkins, I don't think it would have been too long after he first came to prominence. Richard Dawkins, that is, when he'd just written uh, mm-hmm. the Selfish Gene, which is a yes. phenomenal work of not only. Uh, evolutionary biology but popular science and philosophy in a way it's a wonderful book it's about 30 years old now mm-hmm. but i'd uh you go back and read it it's brilliant but mm. rich talking since then has become a lot <laughs> more annoying it's like Morrissey, isn't it? He, well, I'm sure uh, Richard Dawkins probably does hold some terrible uh, opinions <laughs> of, uh, of that case, but I think him. So uh, when Rick, yeah, yeah, when Douglas met him, he was probably at the height of his game, and uh, he became more annoying. And he's one of those things. So if um, you were just a fan of Richard Dawkins, you could uh, or liked his writing or thought he was clever, you could, you know. Buy, be less likely to buy each of his next books. Oh, I won't buy the hardback when it first comes out. I won't go to the book reading and the book signing. I won't do that. I won't be that interested in that. I'll wait for the paperback. Oh, I'll wait till someone else has got the paperback and lent it to me. Oh, I'll wait till they make a television <laughs> documentary about the paperback. Oh, I'll wait till they invent <laughs> Kindles and somebody cracks the uh, Moby format and you can download them off the internet. I'll wait <laughs> until you get an audible free trial and have his droning <laughs> voice at, or, at audiblepodcast.com yes. and um, <laughs> all that and you just you know you can sort of edge yourself away from him but if you've mistaken if you are famous and you've made the mistake of actually becoming friends with the bugger um yeah. this would be a a, a a dreadful thing to have happened this is probably one of the worst uh things to happen uh if you're a famous person because you may have noticed <laughs> that like, all famous people have to hang out together 
It's just the rules. They mm-hmm. all know each other. And he, I used to think, mm-hmm. oh, God, that's funny, isn't it? They've all become famous. And then, they, you know, they all become famous and they know each other. The reason they hang around together is essentially you tend to hang around with people you meet at work a lot. <laughs> and this is famous people work in famousness together you know they, they might meet on a, 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 a start the week or something on radio four and they go oh yeah we're gonna do that <laughs> start the week <laughs> of the references of all the famous people i did not expect start the week well, that's where that's where famous people like rich dawkinson doesn't remind me that sort of thing i don't know sure um, no, that's fair enough but, that that tear yes it's, it's yeah, context as an yes. extension of this thesis if they all meet if they all meet at work at the, at the, at the work of famous mm. <laughs> the, fame court then essentially all these things are, are their work dues so does that mean like the Someone's going home. Uh, so let's think of a, think of a fame. It was, it was that podcast we were talking about just now. Josh Whittaker. Josh, so Josh, Josh, <laughs> Josh Whittaker. He has he goes home. And he goes. He has to go to his missus. Oh, can I get a pass out for Friday? Only Cosby's leaving, and we've, we've all got to go. <laughs> I was always leaving, being famous. <laughs> he's, he's having a leaving do from leaving famous. Uh, listen, uh, Mrs. Whittaker. Is there a chance that I can uh, go off to go to Cosby's leaving do? Oh, honestly, I don't know what I'm going to write in his card. That's my Josh Widdicombe voice. Oh, we've had a whip, we've had a whip around. It's coming up very, very slim. I don't, I don't <laughs> think Bill Cosby is going to get less famous. Let's put it this way. But, <laughs> but uh, no, but that's but, but people who drop out of being genuinely drop out of fame drop out in a sort of a sliding scale way. Because if you get fi- yeah. if you get fired from being famous, you actually right. get converse to get more famous. So it is it is the, actually the job that you they they talk about. You know, oh yeah, the, the, he works at the council. Oddest know, job, in, job, the job, Oddest job in the world. Oddest job in the world. You can't even get fired down there. You can't. So famous is like the council. You can't. It's very difficult to get fired from being famous. I don't know. It seems to be very easy for uh, for um, disgusting uh, mediocre white men to get fired from. They uh, haven't got. They haven't got lately. any less famous. They're just. No, everybody knows their shit. Oh, they're, they're on gardening leave. Well, they get. Well, I think what John's saying is they get they get a new they get a new program. We just. Have, I mean, Mel, Mel Gibson's all right again now, isn't it? Yeah. No, I I think we're I think we are close to having forgiven. I say we. I meant I mean like society or the chattering classes or whatever the other thing is. Um, but yeah, like we, we as a society, it feels like we are close to having forgiven Mel Gibson. Um, and so it is going to be. A case of, uh, I think maybe the the only problem is there's a almost a statute of limitations, more a sort of statute of of lifespan in that some of the people being slightly older might be dead before we forgive them. But that is going. We've to forgiven happen. Eric Gill, for example, and he did some very naughty things. Have we given A. A. Gill? <laughs> no, never forgiven him for shooting that no, girl. No. But no. With, I, was, I was just although people do stop being famous. So there's a certain level. So I was just watching before I came to talk to you guys. Uh, Celebrity The Chase. <laughs> Such a was, title. I think it's, it's called, called The Chase Celebrity Special or something. Oh, okay. It <laughs> but it, it should be called Celebrity The Chase is much better. That's like a Welsh, uh, like a, a Welshman's name. Is it like a? <laughs> it's, it's like a Welsh stalker. Oh, you doing, Mrs. McGinn? I'm Celebrity The Chase. <laughs> Why is he called Celebrity? Because he's very strange parents. It's just a Chardonnay. <laughs> So I was watching Celebrity of the Chase, and it was on like um, sort of uh, the Quiz Show Dave channel, which is called Challenge. And um, 
it's uh the so the chase has four contestants with four celebrities uh not counting the celebrities that are right. presenting the chase that are normally on the chase but um <laughs> and it was um somebody who used to be in coronation street uh somebody who used to be in eastenders barry from eastenders uh, <laughs> barry mcguigan the ex boxer oh wow and then somebody else at the bottom they only get the first name on the sort of desk and it said jenny hmm. i think who is that it's a blonde lady uh so maybe mid-30s no just i don't i don't know i don't know i don't know i don't know who that is it isn't one of the atomic kittens a jenny it was one of the atomic kittens yeah the least remember least memorable of the four atomic kittens that there have ever been i think it's atomics kitten <laughs> that's the correct <laughs> atomic kit eye well, kittens already oh no kittens isn't plural kittens is <laughs> but, uh, but anyway so yeah so she she I had genuinely no idea who she was. So you can get less and less famous, but there's still a level of fame. Uh, so, and, but if you've become famous with yes, uh, a member of a boy band, say you become friends with Brian from Westlife. Now, I don't even know which one Brian is out of Westlife. <laughs> They're probably all called Brian. They all look similar. They all and the, so just imagine you're in a you've written a book and that makes you famous for a while and then you have to become friends with Brian from Westlife. You see him you see him down the pub every Friday on payday, and uh, he's got your little brown envelopes full of you dos <laughs> and stuff. And you, you, you but yeah, you call the, the, uh, the famous, famous lady payroll lady comes around with the trolley says uh, Westlife Brian Westlife famous lady payroll was uh, one of my favourite uh, of the Twee Paul McCartney Beatles songs. Say you've had to become famous with uh, Twee, Twee Paul McCartney or whatever, and they get irritating. You, you can't avoid them because even if you don't like them, what you're going to do? You're going you're to get phoned up and asked to come on uh, book club on Friday afternoons on Radio Four. And they're there. They're the other guest. So you've got to be nice to them. So what I'm suggesting is, no matter how annoying Richard Dawkins got, Douglas Adams probably still had to be nice to him and tell him that Oolong Kluford was not basing him in mm. any way, shape or form. <laughs> Just like um, uh, Paul Fitzmilne Johnson or whatever his name is, who we will get to uh, possibly next week. Uh, and now, um, to one of Ford's old haunts. Orion Beta is noted for its Madronite mining belts, where Ford learned to play a drinking game involving telekinesis and obscene forfeits. John Hickman, we've done 38 of these already, so you know what I'm going to ask you. How does this drinking game work? It's hard for me to say because, uh, as I'm not a rugby player, <laughs> <laughs> my my drinking game uh, days are behind me. Um, it's almost certainly going to involve nicknames mm -hmm. <laughs> it's certainly going to involve um using your uh least preferred of your three arms to point <laughs> at anything. it's going to involve uh rules about uh not using anyone's uh names that's exactly what i was thinking of you've got to remember everyone's nickname and you have to point at them with a specific arm uh yes. and maybe it depends which arm is like if it's in the first third of the alphabet <laughs> you have to use your left arm last third yeah. it's your third arm uh yes okay i'm following most, so far most most definitely 
Um, so, um, so to expand this beyond what, what we already know, I'm, I'm guessing that you're probably not allowed to use your babel fish. Um, that's sure. going to be part of the. So th- th- there is something called the international drinking rules. Mm-hmm. Um, which 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 is uh, you can only point with your elbow. You must drink using your oh, least yes. preferred hand. That there is a freeze master, and whenever the freeze master freezes, everybody freezes, and the last person to freeze drinks their drink. Um, John, do you remember any of the other international drinking rules? No, I've never heard of that at all. Oh, okay. That's so, how, who are, are they? Is there an internet? Is there like a FIFA? I think there's. Uh, I think there's probably some ISO standards involved. Um, if, but there, 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 there could be a regulatory body. Um, um, if so, then they're definitely in the pockets of uh, of big alcohol uh, and probably big tobacco as well. There'll be a lot of funny money flying around the the International Drinking Rules Federation. Um, so th- there should be some galactic rules to, to go with them. So. Um, as I say, uh, you, you, uh, you're not allowed to point. You have to use your elbow. You have to drink with your non-preferred hand. Um, there are there are rules as well about. Um, uh, I mentioned the freeze master. There's the thumb master. If the thumb master puts their their thumb on the table, everyone has to put their thumb on the table. The last person to put their thumb on the table uh, has, has has to drink. The, and the um, the fine is usually t- uh, two fingers of whatever you're drinking at the moment. So uh, you want to be on pints during uh, this sort of banter. As they as they call it, I think. Um, so, what what galactic rules would we like to add into the mix? I've already mentioned third arms. I've already mentioned Babelfish. Um, telekinesis has got to come into this at some point. But um, uh, how would towels fit in with the game, John? Uh, you probably pick up your towel and f off because this is the only sort of thing that this is the sort of thing that's that's played by essentially groups of men who don't really want to talk to each other. Yeah. Uh, now I don't, yeah. I don't know. So you want to um, you get your towel and um, there's probably towel flicking. Oh, that would be the obscenity. Would be the towel. Could, flicking. Could, well, it depends where you flick, I suppose. Uh, you know where they flick, John. You know where they flick. I did go to grammar school. The uh, <laughs> uh, do you remember tapping? Oh, when you when you're drinking bottles and if you hit the top of someone else's bottle, then they have to neck it. Well, it fizzes up, doesn't it? So they have to. Yeah, yeah. That was. Uh, <laughs> So, um, although I did once hang around with a group of us, and tapping got quite annoying. Yep. So what some people do is, right, so I'm not getting a bottle anymore. I'm going to get a pint. You can't tap me, can you? Yeah. Until someone invented plunging. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, I think you can probably guess what what that happened. So, um, I yeah, so just like my wicked Uncle Les, who used to leave an elastic band around his pint glass so no one uh, could nick it, uh, and the, the, the apocryphal guy who leaves a his glass eye in the bottom of his pint. How does the elastic band work? Oh, he, he just wants doesn't he just sticks an elastic band around his pint glass, so he wants the same pint glass all the time. Doesn't want anybody else to have it. The so I think all these different alien types will either will be dangling different um, bodily appendages that perhaps the other people don't really understand into them, so everybody else thinks they're drinking out of them. But no, no, they'll just be like it'll be a a, a thing on you, sort of like you know cats have lazy thumbs. It'll be like a lazy cock or whatever. Uh, that appears out of your chest. Well, I think one thing's for certain. One thing's for certain is that, as you say, there were no there were no ladies involved. No, um, uh, in, women maybe, but play, not ladies in playing the, Well, in playing the drinking game, and also certainly none of these uh, people um, managed to find uh, any nice ladies to talk to that night. They would have been, you would have given these people a very wide berth because, as as, as John says, it's like it is the lowest common denominator of men 
when you get a group of people playing playing a drinking game, it's terrible. Well, from drinking, we go to drinking. The Pangalactic Gargle Blaster is the best drink in existence, according to the guide. Here, in brief, is how you make one. Take the juice from one bottle of Old Jack Spirit, pour into it one measure of water from the seas of Santraginus 5, allow three cubes of Arcturan Megagen to melt into the mixture. It must be properly iced or the benzene is lost. Allow four litres of Phalian Marsh gas to bubble through it. Over the back of a silver spoon, float a measure of Qualactin Hypermint extract. Drop in the tooth of an Algolian Sun Tiger, sprinkle Xamphor, add an olive and drink. But very carefully. The effect of the drink is like having your brain smashed out by a slice of lemon wrapped around a large gold brick. And it was invented by Zaphod Beeblebrox. John B., is it worth mixing one at home, considering all the ingredients you've got to keep on hand? Do you think there are, like, other cocktails that could make use of some of these ingredients? So, what I'm guessing is, your old Jack Spirit, that's a, that's a mm. cocktail cabinet staple. Every, yes, every, it, it very much sounds everybody's like Everybody's got a bottle of old Jack Spirit. That'd be, you know, there'd, there'd yeah. be a few other cocktails that that's in. Actually, can I ask you a very quick question about that? Um, mm-hmm. I, I feel like uh, we, we should have covered this before, but are there off-brand old Jack Spirits? In the same way that, like, there's Captain Morgan's and then there's Cap- Admiral Nelson's uh, vodka, or uh, rum, rather. I think if you probably go to um, Space B&M Bargains, uh, you can probably pick <laughs> up um, Old Jack Spirit or uh, yes. Yeah, yes. Or, or something like that. But um, So th- that's it. That's, there's your staple. That or a, uh, a budget simulcrum of it is in your, is in your cocktail mm-hmm. cabinet. Um yeah, measure of water from the seas of San Tragedy's Five. That's probably there. You probably you might have that. Uh, you probably bought back some Qualactin Hypermint extract um, from a holiday somewhere. Uh, you were drinking it. You just drinking little shots of it. Uh, it was lovely at the bar. They give them to you after you bought four or five drinks. Uh, probably tastes uh, aniseedy. Don't know whether it's uh, so. That's there. So that's that's there right at the back. Some uh, for and olives. You. I don't know. Are drinking olives the same as normal olives? Um, I, I don't know. I've never, I've never drank a drink with an olive in it. I like drinks that olives go in, and I like olives. Mm, yeah. So you might, you might have that. You might, but so I should try that. You might have an Angolian Santa. You might all have that. The, what you won't, what? Well, you've probably got some Montura Mega Gin as well, or from Christmas. There was a bottle some, of soda. Yeah, but yeah. So that's probably there, but. It won't be frozen. Ah. So you'd go, oh, shall we have a pangalactic gargle bus? And you go, ah, oh, ooh, well, tell you, can we have one after dinner? I've got to go and freeze uh, the mega gin. So they'll be, you'll be putting out some gin ice cube trays in the fridge. So what's what's really hard is this uh, the 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 marsh gas. You've got to bubble it through it. So any cocktail that is more complicated than putting it all in the glass. Is an absolute no in a home cocktail system. Mm-hmm. Should be a no at a bar. But the marsh gas thing—that's some Heston Blumenthal shit, isn't it? That's like <laughs> you've, you've got to have a gas canister of it, and yeah. um, no one knows actually how to fill them up. Someone's probably accidentally pumped up uh, the paddling pool with it. It needs an attachment for the cocktail shaker thing. I am completely—I I do not believe. I'll be honest that um, anybody. Has had a Pangalactic Gargle Buster, a home Pangalactic Gargle Buster, uh, since about 1970 when the kits were all the rage. Um, 
so uh so no i think a lot i think there's probably something that's a that's a that's made out of very similar ingredients but it's got a different name it might be called a a virgin gargle blaster or a uh intergalactic gargle blaster and it'll be all the same shit without the um without the complicated bits well, the thing is thing is john is you can get you can get a very good tinned pangalactic gargle blaster down the mns now <laughs> uh when you're at uh when you're at port braster does um, perfectly in a pinch yeah you know it's it's fine it's it's not it's not quite it's not quite the same but uh they tend to be in th- three for a fiver deals it is also a step up from the new traumatic str- uh, drinks dispenser version as well <laughs> and some uh and some some of uh, the slightly they think they're trendier bars uh sort of cafe bars will have it on tap <laughs> oh no uh if if my uh uh if, if my adventures trying to find absinthe or anything to go by they will tell you straight up and down that it is a pangalactic gargle blaster and then you will find out no it was just something that's that will get you a little bit drunker than a normal drink uh, <laughs> do you think that this is something that um uh that so n- there is this this kind of uh this bar culture that we have, maybe mm. we've always had it, but it's something that I'm, I've only been aware of recently. Of um, and they have they have this for coffee, and they have this for alcohol as well. Of of championship uh, level barkeeping. Um, so you, you you get people who become champion baristas, they genuinely go into like a bloody Olympics of making a coffee, um, and and you get you get this in in the in the bartending as well with the with the cocktail people. I saw a documentary about it. Actually. Oh, did you? Yeah, Tom Cruise and. He- <laughs> <laughs> um, but so what happens with this is that there's there's um, both their their technique and their ability to make drinks but then there's also their ability to to improvise and to blend new drinks as well and so what you end up with then is you end up with people deciding they have to put a twist on the old classic so there'll be there could be some trendy barkeepers around who uh you know they're, they're swapping out the uh, Octurian Mega Gin and instead what they're doing is they're uh, they're making their own equivalent using uh, a vodka and and some botanicals they've harvested themselves because they just wanted to have a little bit more of a of a peppery taste um and you know there'll be somebody else who they'll be they they won't actually be using the hypermint extract they'll actually um they'll they'll actually be using uh, a garnish instead to replace that flavor do you think that do you think that sort of thing goes on with this and and how would we feel about that does it have to be prescriptive to this list i think that definitely happens and i think actually there have been home ones because some people have used it as uh, the first drink they give them when they come through the door on space come dine with me uh, <laughs> and they go, oh I've, I've, is it and they go oh is it locally sourced fallopian march gas and you go uh, did you make did you make the hot the tiger tooth yourself all right well now before the next bit here's another podcast you might like Hello, this is an introduction to the podcast series Stories to Tell in the Middle of the Night. Small stories, odd, true, funny and familiar, that reflect the night hours themselves. I'll tell you stories about dead dogs, pork pies, noisy neighbours and itches that need to be scratched. We will be releasing the first episode on May 22nd, 2018. Sign up, subscribe and get them sent to your device as they are released. Visit stories to tell in the middle of the night.com to find out more or give us a follow on Twitter at Middle Night Tale. The guide has a great deal to say on the subject of parallel universes. Very little of this is, however, at all comprehensible to anyone below the level of advanced God. 
The first thing to realise about parallel universes, the guide says, is that they are not parallel, because being parallel doesn't mean anything. Um, it's all part of the whole general mishmash, but I thought it was worth bringing up, since it's sort of notable by its absence, in that we don't actually talk about parallel universes all that much. I love parallel universes. I think I love the idea of them. I the, do as a um, thing. And I ho- I'm yeah. hoping that when we get to uh, the letter W, that the whole sort of general mishmash is is in there, because <laughs> it is... A, yes. A, it's a phenomenal idea and it's quite fundamental to how i think about things um i like the idea that parallel universes it doesn't well they're, they're not parallel because i suppose what in the what it means in parallel uh in this sense we're actually talking about universes where uh things have sort of budded off like a, a tr- like a, a sort of fractal yes uh, universes might be a better yes way of talking about them um i lo- i love that idea because it means there's a there's a there's a universe in where I got some things right. <laughs> There's a universe in where I wasn't just too late uh, with my entry for uh, the first series of Pop Idol. There's a <laughs> there's a universe where I hadn't spilt some coffee on my crutch when I was going to that interview. There's a universe where I there's a universe where I when I was fourteen, no twelve, I actually remembered to take my pants off when I went to have a shit when I'd got diarrhoea at school. Oh. And all these other much more successful Johns that have finished their novels and things like that. <laughs> oh, mate. I love that they exist. <laughs> you, can, um, you can experience some of that parallel universe for yourself now just by doing a vanity search on Google to see all the more famous versions of yourself in this universe. You don't have to be able to cross dimensions to find uh, a John Hickman or a John Bounds or a Mark Steadman who's who's living their best life, lads. No, you don't. I, I am the most famous one. Oh, come on. There's, a, there's the bass player of a very poor american christian rock band but that's it i've got a really unusual name i am I, according to the internet i'm the best me although i only put the best things about me on the internet i don't tell anybody about shitting myself uh <laughs> at school oh shit <laughs> so i just recently read the um the autobiography of uh mark oliver everett who's e from uh eels and do you know why mm. he's tangentially connected to this story no his dad Developed parallel universe theory. Wow. His, uh, yeah, his, so his, his dad was a, 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 th- a theoretical physicist and also a government physicist. And also a real one. Um, yeah, yes, yes. Sorry. <laughs> um, uh, so he was, he worked, he worked at the Pentagon. In fact, uh, in, in the book, he talks about the fact that, um, he's pretty sure that his, his dad's office, had he still been alive, would have been in the bit of the Pentagon that, that, that the plane hit in, on, on 9-11. Wow. So having read Ethan Neal's, uh, autobiography recently, does he hang out with lots of other famous people? Y- yes, he does. And, um, the the best story about that because he actually does at one point sort of say look i've i've just realized that uh i i i do work at famous and i haven't told you any stories about famous people here's one i was at um i was filming uh later with Jules Holland and uh there was a there was a young up and coming artist called John Legend who was playing and the format of the studio is that you're kind of you're on stages next to one another and you're very, very, very close. And at this period in time, I had an affectation of uh, lighting a cigar as part of my act. And one of Mr. Legend's uh, minders came over to, to me and said, do you mind Mr. Legend doesn't like you smoking? <laughs> and, I t- and 
And I told him to fuck off and that he needed to become a legend before he could use that name, which is a <laughs> great comeback. And with that, we move to some sort of bomb. The Paralyzomatic is a bomb of some sort. Zaphod throws one into the crowd that comes to watch the unveiling of the Heart of Gold. Mr Hickman, is it safe to assume the effects of the bomb are temporary? This all depends on what you think of Zaphod Beeblebrox, mm. essentially. This, this isn't a question about the bomb that someone is putting us up. No. This, this, is, this is a question about whether or not you think Zaphod Beeblebrox... Of what would, is Zaphod capable? ...would commit an atrocity and what his motivations for committing an atrocity might, might be and, and, how that, and how that might go. So... I was I was I was thinking about this. So there, there is there is a scenario in which Zaphod would be like, "I'm going to have to cause a distraction." There's a thing that could cause a distraction, and he would and he might use it without thinking. I yes, think that's potentially in his that's scenario A for me in his in, in in his wheelhouse, and he wouldn't have thought about those those, those no. consequences. There is another thing that we might be saying here, where where that might be a deadly weapon. He might know it's a deadly mm-hmm. weapon. And he might use it because he is kind of mostly unthinking and uncaring. Mostly, that, and that yeah, that means that you're taking that particular reading of his of his character, mm-hmm. his personality. There's another scenario where you might think, uh, it, yeah, it's a stun bomb, and he knew, and that, therefore that's fine and that's okay, and that means that you're tying yourself to that particular. Reading. Yes, which speaks um, to the the part of us that wants to think that there is a deeper intelligence to Zaphod. Yes, I was going to say this is something we talked about quite quite yeah. a bit. The 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 idea that there is. There is a certain front which all, mm-hmm. uh, I think Zayford almost believes, <laughs> and then there is a, there is a, a, a deeper lying thing. Now, in thinking about this, I I thought to myself, I bet the internet has done a D and D character alignment chart mm. with Hitchhiker's Guide to the Gal- Galaxy characters on it. Because if you can pinpoint Zayford within that, then you can break down this scenario. Uh, are we all okay with the idea of a of a D and D alignment chart? Do I need to talk through that? I think I should probably should. It's actually very very simple. It's um yeah. and and John will correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, it's a it's a two axis system. Along one yeah. axis you have um good versus evil, and then on the other axis you have um chaotic neutral uh it's it's there is, is it actually chaotic right. and neutral or is neutral so in the middle? yeah so it goes it goes from from lawful that's it thank to you evil it to evil sorry um sorry good to evil yeah and uh lawful, lawful to chaotic to chaotic yeah and in the middle is is neutral and therefore there are there are nine squares yeah. that you can have nine positions you can very take. much like that one where you uh rate people on the political spectrum sort of uh, authoritarian yes. libertarian and uh... yes yes it is that there you go so yeah, it's, so it's like not that. to do with rolling up your character's um attributes mm-hmm. it's to do with giving you um a position uh through which you can perform your character it's a slightly uh slightly more sophisticated sorting hat yeah 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 exactly so if you if you were a lawful good character, uh, it means you obey the r- rule of law as you understand it, and that you have uh, you have intentions to um, uh, both thwart evil and to also um, benefit those around you. I, I was I was just thinking because so many of the characters are and I, I, like I'm, I'm well, I'm not going to I'll keep you powder dry on that because I'm sure you're you're going to get to that. But I was thinking about chaos uh, or sort of. Um, lawful good and the only one i can really think of is latter period slarty bartfast who actually wants to do things to save the galaxy and to save the universe 
um, rather than everyone else who just wants to drink and dance with girls. Yeah, no, I think I think that's I think that's a that, that's that's a fair shout. The um, the the example which I which I found uh, I I don't agree with what they put in Lawful Good, which is they put Arthur in there. He's almost neutral to a fault. I think he's 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 you know less evil than good. Uh, no, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> um, but he's—I I think okay, I think a neutral good. I think is probably what he is. Yeah, no, that's 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 probably he's just not active enough. enough to be lawful or chaotic. Yeah, he has a certain amount of self-interest when it comes to trying to save save his house, but he doesn't have much agency in in affecting that. So we don't really no. see what he would what he would do for that. No, um, they they put trillion in neutral good, which I think is. I think it's. I think that's fair. Yeah, probably, probably all the humans that we encounter are probably mm-hmm. neutral goods. Um, so, so yeah. As to this, as to this bomb, it depends on where you where where you're going to put. Uh, yeah, which of the nine s- nine squares do you put Zephod in? Yeah, in in the grid. Um, the 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 example that I found has put him in uh, chaotic neutral, mm-hmm. and I think that's probably about right. Mm. So, as a chaotic neutral neutral character, he wouldn't be following the rule of law. Uh, in any way, shape, or form, he would purely be acting on things that would affect him. But he's not outright evil, no. And so he wouldn't want to hurt those other people necessarily. But that still leads us to the thing of he is an opportunist. And overlaid on all of this thing is that anything called omatic, he probably doesn't do what it really meant to do. <laughs> so if it was meant to, so if it was meant to paralyze people for a long time. It probably wears off after a bit. Uh, now then, uh, you bring the twiglets, and I'll bring the wine. In the third book, Arthur gets hit in the small of the back by a party that's in its fourth generation and has taken to conducting raiding parties of nearby planets, depleting them of stocks of cheesy snacks and booze. Mr Bounds, uh, what's the most extreme, um, or as the young people would say, lit party you've attended that you're legally allowed to talk about? I don't really like parties. You've had some good ones, though. I find them really hard work. Draining, yep. So, um, I... I've got no, and I also I'm never in the centre of whatever would make a party extreme or 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 lit. So I may have been at some extreme or <laughs> lit parties. I went to a bonfire party. The bit something outside was lit, <laughs> but uh, in fact, uh, what I took uh, that particular bonfire party. We'd taken the downstairs internal doors off to make more uh, sort of mingle room, uh, and then turned around to find my mate Lee had put them on the fucking fire. <laughs> I think this is really interesting, I and mean, this. Is all about again a little bit about how you react to this sort of thing. So, Douglas Adams was apparently very famous for his parties. Uh, he had a big uh, townhouse that you uh, probably have seen described in so long and uh, thanks for all the fish. Um, and he, he he apparently had really a big lush uh, decadent parties where he would invite everybody you knew. Just stay out of the kitchen because Dawkins is in there. Well, that's it. That's exactly what. But that <laughs> that was it. He'd go. Uh, you might be queuing for the toilet behind Salman Rushdie, who's taking an absolute age. He might be hiding <laughs> out in there. I don't know. <laughs> Salman, you can come out now. You've left something <laughs> satanic in there, haven't you, mate? <laughs> <laughs> but so, but Douglas Douglas was obviously very comfortable at parties. So this the party in the book. And it appears again in um, the the Encolfer Hitchhiker's book. It flies back in, Mm -hmm. and it's um, it's obviously a fantastic party. They're all really enjoying it, and it's a party full of interesting people and uh, award-winning celebrities from uh, across the galaxy who want you to talk about the award that they've just 
one and they're holding <laughs> and things like that. Be lucky, win awards. Yeah, and the, and gods and all that. And he obviously would really enjoy that sort of thing. And he, it's, I think it's difficult for him to because Arthur would not really like parties. Arthur, Arthur goes to two parties yeah. in this in the in mm. this uh, trilogy, and one of them's off camera, as it were. And he has a good time at both of them. Um, and yeah. Arthur would not have a good time at parties. He would be insecure. He would um, get caught at the edge of groups and not know whether he could talk to them or not. Can I posit a third potential option here, if one exists? Sure. And it, it comes back to rereading again. It comes back to reading this now with the lens we read it in. And, and also, I might verge on being unfair and unkind to the, to the readers. So um, let me know if I'm, if I'm way off the mark here. But I wonder if, as we get progressively progressively older, and the people who read these books uh, and and dive into the culture tend to be of a type, let's say, and tend to be of uh, you know, some you know, every, everywhere is somewhere in, on on a spectrum, so that's that's fine. Um, and so I wonder whether, given that Arthur is ostensibly the lead character, how much of our understanding of people like this. Or people like us, how much of that do we actually imprint on Arthur? And uh, you know, I, I actually wonder now whether Arthur was more just a regular, just this guy, you know, just a regular guy. Um, but because of the way that history has continued, and because of some of the language which we've wanted to keep as we've updated these books into films and things, we've wanted to keep a lot of the language because that's what people know. That makes Arthur stuffy. And he may not have been quite as stuffing, quite as tweedy, um, and quite as nerdy and quite as shy as we want to believe as people who read Twitter um, and, and The Guardian. You might, yeah, you might be right. You think, I think there's, in, 19, um, in 1978, if, uh, unless you were a punk, uh, you probably wore the same brown trousers uh not be not because you were not because you were shitting yourselves at the thought of punks but the uh <laughs> just because that were, that was all that was in mns you were either the cult culture or you were the counterculture it was it was pretty binary i think i think yeah i think that's that's 